This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to subscribe and like the video. And if you're listening on podcast, please make sure to leave me a review. This helps my content get in front of more people. So thank you for that. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. I focus on root cause healing, and oftentimes that is using the carnivore cures meat only elimination diet. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with one of my friends, Brian Sanders. He is a wonderful person. and We talked about nuances and we talked about his film and how, when he speaks with people from the standard American diet world, how it's really about just getting certain changes out of their diet to start really getting them healing. Sometimes we're in nutrition and wellness and we think everyone knows that seed oils aren't ideal or everyone knows that. A processed food is not ideal, but for the majority of America and probably other countries, they just don't know these things. They're so busy just trying to live their lives and they don't think twice about nutrition, but just focus maybe on calories. Brian Sanders is a filmmaker behind the Food Lies documentary. He's host of the top five nutritional podcast, Peak Human. It's a great podcast. And he's an international speaker. He graduated from UCLA with a degree in mechanical engineering. As his health started declining, and then when he lost his parents, his desire for nutrition and wellness just peaked. He now works as a health coach at Evolve Healthcare, and he co founded the health education company Sapien. He works to spread awareness of regenerative agriculture and increase access to well raised animal products through his company, Nose to Tail. Our family has used nose to tail many times, and the food is good. If you do like adding some organ meats to your meats, I loved his meats. It wasn't very gamey, and I genuinely liked his product. We talk about all his different companies and the trajectory and timeline of the film, and how you can even support this mission that he is on. Let's get right into the discussion. Hey, Brian, super excited to have you on. It's always so much fun to talk with you. For the people that are listening and watching that may not have heard of you, if you can introduce yourself. Hey, Judy. Yeah, I'm here in Austin with Judy.、Um, we are separate, though. If you're watching this, we're in separate rooms. It's hard to do podcasts in person. So, yes, I have been making the Food Lies film for four years now. It's been quite a journey. I got started in this space because, well, eight years ago, I lost both my parents. My story is wow, that was about the time I turned 30 and I couldn't eat whatever I wanted anymore. And I kind of started having to take a look at my health. And some of my friends started getting into just this primal way of eating, like Mark Sisson type stuff. And so, yeah, eight years ago, I just got sent down this path. Didn't want to end up like my parents. You know, we have so many undiagnosed chronic diseases. And I saw them, the doctors didn't tell them anything. And they just were doing the normal standard American diet type stuff. And then they just, I, I know they had pre diabetes, you know, now looking back and no one told them. And so, yeah, it, I made some simple changes in my diet and I completely changed my body composition, changed my mood, changed my health, changed, I 
didn't have allergies anymore. I didn't have acid reflux. I didn't have joint pain. I didn't have this chronic overuse pain anymore from my wrist, from the, using the computer. All these things change. And I was like, man, this is so simple. So I have all these things coming together, right? I simply changed a couple foods I ate. My whole, like, I never counted calories. I never did any of this stuff before or after, yet I had such a good result from it, right? Then, you know, I had the thing with my parents, I had the thing with myself. I just wanted to let people know this stuff was easy and we need to wake up and not just trust the mainstream view of nutrition or the mainstream sick care system. And so then I, yeah, I dedicated myself full time to it four years ago to make the film, started interviewing a bunch of great people that you probably had on the show already. And we're still continuing to interview a few more people and put it together and hopefully be done by the end of the year. So that's my recap. I I guess there's a few more things that you probably listed in your intro. You know, I work with Dr. Gary as a health coach a little bit and just work with his practice. So I kind of just get some actual time to visit with patients and figure that stuff out. And then, yeah, that's about it. And you've shared so much good content in the last few years where you have also interviewed so many people on your Peak Human podcast, such experts and so much good information from all the people you've interviewed. You know, they always have their little niche where they're like, this is the thing. But what do you gather are some really good tips for optimal nutrition and health? Yeah, no, it's been a journey. And I've changed my views over the years and I've learned a lot. And yeah, I think it's great to be open to new ideas. And I guess, yeah, what I found, so initially I went, it was like very low carb and I did that and I thought it was amazing. And I I changed my body, my metabolism. I got fat adapted. And then I started thinking about other things and I just started listening to more people. And so I'm still pretty much like that, but I've just added a few more things in my diet and, and experimenting with carbs once a day, uh, like at night. Like I, so I, I work out in the evening and then I am saying, oh, what happens, you know, if I add some, I cook white rice and bone broth or like have a little bit of fruit and Greek, Greek yogurt uh, with some honey. And so I've been trying that stuff out. So I guess one thing would be, yes, just being open to new things, knowing that your, your body changes and that different diets work at different times because yes, like you said, I talked to all different people and everyone has their own thing, right? And so it's been years and then every, you know, so many people are just like, this is the way to go. Got to do it this way. And the one thing, the like highest level thing I've learned, it, it seems so trite and sort of cliche to say it, but like there is no one diet, right? It's like they're kind of, but there is a framework. So I'm not one of those people that's just like mainstream dietitian. Oh, there's no diet. We need to individualize for everyone. No, no. It's like there, there's a framework that's that all humans can thrive on. And that's what your listeners know. It's like this animal-based diet. It's it's meat and fat and yeah, some other things, right? Because that's what happened over history. We had different times of the year and we ate different foods and there was some honey once in a while and we gorged on some honey. And then for like a month, there was a little bit of berries. We ate the berries. Like this is... I mean, we have to take this into context and see how that applies to our modern life. So I'm 100% on board with most of the carnivore stuff. It's like, yeah, we didn't have all this stuff back then. You do, you go into a Whole Foods now and it's completely inaccurate of any time in history. You see a million colors, everything's flown in from the world. I get it. But then I also get that, well, this is a modern times we live in. And yeah, I can buy some strawberries and eat them after dinner. And I know that those strawberries are ridiculous compared to the strawberries of the past. Like the strawberries of the past would be like these tiny little things. They'd have like like no sugar in them. Yeah, I get it. It's a super sugary strawberry. But this is, you know, we, we have to somehow fit into the, the modern right. life or mimic it. It's like, okay, well, apparently there's studies that, sh- that talk about a Hadza drinking a whole liter of honey, right? Wow. And so I'm not going to do that, but they did that. So maybe they, they didn't have any sugar for six months and then they drank a liter of honey. So I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, well, maybe equivalent in the modern world, maybe I, I don't eat a lot of sugar at all. And I'm eating, you know, this sort of animal focused diet as the vegan mayor would say, animal-based centered lifestyle. <laughs> no, people know what I'm talking about. The vegan mayor of New York said he lives a plant-based centered lifestyle that involves a lot of fish. We could talk about that later. I think that's kind of funny. But yeah, I eat this animal-based diet and then I'll have strawberries because I'm working out and I'm metabolically healthy and it works for me. And it's fine that they're, you know, super big and super sweet. So yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, 
what I see with my clients is we have to have real life in this whole conversation of optimal health and maximizing nutrition. I think it's smart to understand these nuances of like the strawberry, the organs, the meats and bone broth, all of these things are really good. But then you have to know in context, how does that work for you mentally, physically, based on your past metabolic syndrome, and then even from a mental emotional state. So if you feel like you are isolating yourself and only eating meat, and you hate your life almost because you have to eat this way, and everyone gets everything else, well, that's a very lonely and miserable place to be too. So I think it's understanding foods and what works for you and what doesn't. And I think the way that you're eating super healthy, I've seen so many of your pictures where you have sauerkraut. And I would love for my clients to get there one day. And maybe most days they want to eat just meat because they feel best in a high super ketogenic diet. But uh, on other days, they, they should be able to tolerate all those healthy foods that you incorporate. But some of my clients just can't even eat that right now because they get sick. So I think what you're saying is spot on, we have to know the balance of what works for us, our individual lifestyle and our body and and then figure out I think the goal is really just removing a lot of the processed foods and then everything else is kind of nuanced and we're really just playing in the same sandbox, but arguing little nuances within that space. Well, you have to, you have to, because <laughs> people have so many different backgrounds and experiences and health. And yeah, the, I think the the discussion is generally around the same thing. Yes. How can we live well, live optimally, live way better than 95% of people do? And then we could, yeah, we could work on these nuances, but then I'd love to get in those nuances because I do, I back up people, even though like, I'm always trying to say, I'm not in the carnivore crowd necessarily. I'm in the animal based crowd, but I, I, I say we, I do totally understand why someone needs to eat a carnivore diet and that I want to talk about these nuances because I'll defend both sides. Cause in some sides they'll say, yeah, like this is insane. Why are you doing it? I'm like, because they have problems, they cannot eat anything else. And it's like, they're working towards something. And that or even if we're talking about like the psychological side, I know people, we have mutual friends, we ha- we know the same people, food, they have food pro- issues. If they start eating, if you tell them to eat a few strawberries after dinner, next thing you know, they're binging on other foods for a week. Yeah. So I completely get that. And I, and I want to make sure people know that in this crowd, in the mainstream, that you have to look at these things and the, the, the like calorie bros online, they don't know any of this stuff, right? They don't deal with patients. They just deal with say muscle bros that just fit their macros. They fit a pop tart in their diet, that whole thing. I'm saying I, but so I'm, I always play both sides of it. I feel like I, I don't want, I'm like, I get it that we shouldn't, we don't want to be necessarily eating hundred percent animal foods for the rest of our lives. But I also get that people come from different backgrounds, even just psychologically let alone metabolically. Yeah. And, you know, from your content, Brian, I know that you're a lot more nuanced and open and I see it from a lot of the content. So thank you for that. I think there are some people that say, this is a diet I'm going to die on. And this is absolutely the way that you have to eat here, all the rules, and there's no sort of wiggle room, but I don't see that in a lot of your information. So I appreciate that even in your interviews, you ask these questions that are hard. I've heard you ask about liver. I've heard you asked about mineral balance and just getting it specifically from foods or do you have to supplement? These are really great nuanced questions that, again, depending on the person, it will be a benefit or it can be a harm. And, you know, when when we talk to Mary, we know that there are some people that are really, really ill and they have no choice but to eat maybe only meat only or beef only for a while as they heal. And I think that most people, if they can tolerate plant-based foods, they would want to incorporate it for diversity, for flexibility. But a lot of people have been so sick from them that they're ready and okay to remove them because they feel so good on a meat focused and almost meat only diet. Yeah. Yeah. And people, I I think the goal might be maybe for most people should be to see how many foods they can add back in, right? Like, let's see how many foods we can eat. And so, yeah, I just encourage people. I've seen them online. They get, I, I guess it's, it's like they get excited about healing. And so then they go so extreme, like this is the only way to go and all this stuff. But I think their ultimate goal is to be like, how can I add more foods back in. Because I think, like you said, there's many reasons. And just for flexibility too. It's like now, like I can eat with people and not feel like this maniac because I can tolerate foods. Like, yes, I eat the kimchi and the sauerkraut and I have like all these different foods. So my gut is ready for them. So I even, I mean, there's another nuance is sometimes people's gut 
just isn't ready for those foods. Right. So yes, they go carnivore, they cut out a lot of foods, then their gut microbiome isn't ready to handle the starches anymore. And then they, they add them back in. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can ask you a question. Do you help people add them back in and then be okay, you know, feel better with, with a, you know, just introducing them slowly and helping them add more foods back in? Yeah. So the best way to, if you've done an elimination for a long time that you might not have as much of the gut bugs that will take the starches, the fermented foods. And so you want to slowly reintroduce. I normally recommend between three days to a week of eating the same. So let's say your diet is all the same, the meats, the fish, the eggs, whatever other animal-based mm-hmm. foods you eat. And then let's say you want to add a little bit of kimchi. I would say literally have one little small piece of lettuce for lunch. See how you do Is your stomach gurgling just from that? And then maybe add another piece at dinner if you feel okay. And then for each day Mm -hmm. and meal, you just consecutively add more and more until you do a full meal with like maybe half a cup. And if you feel fine, you most likely can tolerate it. And that's how you slowly add in. But a lot of people just are like, I'm going to try berries. And then they eat a full cup and they haven't eaten it in maybe like a year and a half. And so yes, they will react. It's a, it's a shock on the system. And then people then have to determine at that point, Do they want to add these foods in? Do they feel as great? And if they don't, then some people just decide to leave them out. But if it's around, they can maybe have some because they know they can tolerate it. And I think that is true healing. It's when you know, I can have a berry, I can have a kimchi, I can have XYZ, but I'm choosing on most days to eat only meat. And that's where I want people to get to. So Mm -hmm. like you said, though, you have to reintroduce foods to even know that. And it's a long journey, though. It's a longer, and I'm even talking about, like, I say we want people to eat the most foods possible. I mean, within the list of good foods, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying, okay, let's see how we can get Pop-Tarts back in. No, it's like there there is this, like I said earlier, the framework. If there's this idea of like a, I call it sapien diet. So yeah, this is my idea of the sapien diet. So, you know, there's keto, there's carnivore, there's paleo. I never thought there was one thing that really encapsulated all that I believed in. Cause you know, these are just more narrow camps. So I'm like, okay, let's call it sapien. This is just what homo sapiens should eat. And it includes carnivore, keto, paleo, all of these things, because most of those are really based on ancestral principles, right? Except for keto. If you're trying to eat all these weird like snacks and like, you know, like packaged foods that are keto approved that can go really South or paleo, you know, they leave out dairy, which is a whole other topic, you know, but I think man, if you can eat some raw dairy, some good cheese, you know, good dairy from farmers market. Absolutely. So I'm like, so why do we need to cut out dairy just because some people can't handle it? It's like, there's more to it. Right. And then, then the carnivore, I'm like, yes, let's try to open up for some more food. So really the sapien framework is these ancestral list of foods that I think are the ones that people should start trying to add in, of course, not all the 90% of foods that most people eat out there and the processed foods and all this other stuff. So it's it's a pretty specific list of foods when you think about it, like what are these good foods? And it's just what foods have been around for the longest. And of course, it's all the meats, all the fat, animal fat, all the eggs, all the seafood, mollusks, crustaceans, like any type of stuff like that. Then what else did we have? You know, we had some tubers. So like, if you can tolerate them, yeah, they're like, let's, let's have some tubers. I was with the Hadza last year and the men were after meat. Most, most of their diet was like, we're finding the meat. Right. But then I went over and then the women's group, yeah, they were digging up some tubers and they were like kind of putting them by the fire and roasting them. And then they would chew on them and then they would spit out most of it. Actually, it was just a whole bunch of fiber. So I, I know I'm going a little sidetrack here, but I just, I do not accept this Hudza eating, you know, 150 grams of fiber per day or whatever. They have all this bogus stuff. There's Herman Ponser, this Harvard scientist guy that, uh, what he, he like canceled on me on the interview. Like he agreed to the interview and then he, he, he backed out and he's trying to say that the Hadza eat like a hundred types of plant foods per year and all this fiber. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he has way more experience than me spending time with the the Hadza, but he's also in that Harvard plant-based mindset. And what I saw is them after meat, they were after meat and fat. And then yes, some of the women were like chewing on some tubers and then spitting out the fiber. So I'm like, yeah, if you don't have enough meat and fat, you chew on some, some baked tubers and then spit out the fiber but they weren't eating any fiber because i ate it with them they gave it to me and and yeah i gnawed on it and it i got it felt like i was getting a little like juice like glucose juice basically so i could you know a few calories and then he spit out the fiber so yeah so what we had was some sort of tubers like that we had some sort of berries 
and we had some sort of honey. So in the modern context, there are the, these low anti-nutrient plant foods, which I think are the best. So that'd be the also fermenting things would, you know, get rid of some of the anti-nutrients that helps, you know, all kinds of things. I would say, yeah, like people like some kind of like squash maybe, or some, you know, white rice, I guess is relatively benign, although it's just like mainly for athletes. I think if you, you want just pure glucose, you know, it is kind of a lot. Um, same thing with honey, but yeah, I mean, these foods I'm listing, you know, maybe some avocado, maybe some mushrooms. These are relatively benign foods They're but they're very specific. If you're looking at how many foods are out there, there's a, say there's a thousand foods. I'm, I'm only talking about, you know, like 50 out of a thousand. So I, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't tell if this is a really restrictive diet or, or it's really open because I eat amazing foods and I'm always eating different meats and, and eggs and fish and like different combinations with some avocado and with some sauerkraut or I, you can, know, I can add in some sweet potato once in a while. And there, there seems like a lot out there and people just think, oh, well, are you just like going eating like a mainstream diet? I'm like, absolutely not. Like this is a very specific group of foods that are the safest foods to eat, the least anti-nutrients. And I think a lot of people can do well with. So that's kind of the, the sapien diet is very focused on the animal foods and the protein and fat and yeah, and filling it in with what you can handle. Right. And I think that handle is the most important part. I mean, for some people with gut health issues, any type of green or any type of squash, um, which is has does have some lectins can affect them. But then if um, some people with their health, they can handle higher oxalate foods, even spinach, right? And that's where it's just very nuanced. And I think it, like you said, it's really individualized. I know that in the standard American diet, we talk about flexibility and everything in moderation, it's fine. But if you really think about what people are eating in the standard American diet, they may have a lot of flavors that are artificial. But if you think about it, it's mostly corn wheat, soy that they're eating. And so they're probably eating a much smaller variety of actual real foods in these processed foods, but they think they have access to everything. So they think they're eating all of that. But really, like if you're eating McDonald's or Skittles and, you know, just some of the processed foods, you're really eating a very, very small subset of the thousand foods that you were just mentioning. So as much as our foods sound restrictive, it's not, it's, the the That's standard really american diet I've never actually thought about that, that specific nuance it's yeah you're eating like boxes of pasta and all the boxes of cereal and this and that it's just corn wheat and soy and vegetable oil right. that's it and all you're doing is eating different combinations right. of corn wheat and right. soy and vegetable oil and with different fake flavorings on it that's like sprinkled and yeah. but yes i i get why they think they have access to everything and they like it's so delicious and hyper palatable and they they're just in this mindset that takes a while to get out of, right? So I, I just, I, I understand it because it's hard to go in normal society and live and when that's all you're used to. So this is also what I found is, is dealing with people in the mainstream. I feel like I deal with more mainstream people than most because I'm making the film. And so a lot of people just talk to me about mm-hmm. this stuff and I'm not like a full-time, you know, I'm not like a, a, a doctor or health coach, really, you know, it's like people, I, I, I interact with a lot of normal people and I can give them all the best information and they still can't do it though. You know, I'm telling them, this is really bad for you. This meat and fat is really good for you. Yeah. This, it's going to be easy. You like meat. Yes. You like meat. You like bacon. Yes. You like eggs. Okay. Let's do this. And then it just falls apart, right? They can't do it. They can have all the information. They can't do it. So I think about that, right. that societal side too. And I get it, right? It's like they're, all the marketing out there in the world is is telling them to eat all these foods. Every doctor they go to is saying, oh, you can't be you, you, like keto. That's insane. That's such a restrictive diet. And so it's super confusing to the average person. Yeah, I mean, it's they say red meat causes heart disease. If you have gout, you got to lower your red meat. Salt is bad for you, so you need to lower the salt. I think, I forgot what the regulation is, but they changed the salt rules. And I don't know if they went lower on the salt. I don't know if you know, but... It's just there's all this low salt mantra and people are having more high blood pressure and gout. And while meat has a part in it, it's not the reason that it's happening. And it's so then people just say, you know, vegetables and fiber, those are the health foods. And we should be eating that more. And how, like you mentioned, that New York City now on Fridays for children are going fully plant based in their school system, which is not ideal for a growing brain whatsoever. That's majority it's fat and it's cholesterol that's in the brain, but 
now they're going to be feeding plant-based foods and having milk with no fat in it. Um, that's a requirement by law now. And it's unfortunate because all they're going to do to make it more palatable is to add sugar. It's super sad. And I saw the new USDA guidelines for school lunches. And of course, it's under this build back, build back better. It's it's so bogus. So bogus. We won't get into that whole stuff with the <laughs> different agendas going on here. But yes, low fat, it was no fat milk, it was more whole grains, and it was lower sodium. Those were the three big new USD guidelines. Right. And it's just, this is so insane. Like the, the sodium stuff, if you go back and look at the actual studies, the, the only the, the only studies that I'm aware of that say that salt is bad is in middle-aged men with already with conditions. So what they did is they are oh, like, okay, people who are already, you know, a mess already have hypertension or had a heart attack, then they did better with lower salt, which really probably just means lower processed foods, right? Because people are just getting all this salt right. from processed foods. And so now they're like, oh, salt's bad. Because this group of men only who are like 45 plus who are already sick. And it's absolutely insane. All this stuff's insane. Everyone listening probably knows that. But yeah, I think I'll, I'll go back to that vegan mayor thing because I, I just think it's it's so sad. This guy, he eats fish all the time. There's so many reports of him eating fish. And to me, that just represents how important animal foods are. It's like they're so important that you can, and so bioavailable and just necessary for your body that this guy can eat the bad plant-based diet and eat fish once a week and survive and be okay. We need to flip the script. It's not that he's just like, oh man, yeah, I eat fish once in a while, but my diet's plant-based. It's like, no, no. What's what's happening is you're being saved by fish. You are being propped up by this fish you're eating. This is the most important part of your diet. And I talked to Chris Masterjohn about this. He's a really great nutrition expert. Like he really dives into this. And he, he he's, I remember him saying the same thing. It's like, you are getting the most valuable nutrition and you can do that in as little as a couple oysters per week. If you eat like three oysters per week, something like that, you can get enough B12 and iron and all these good things that are in the oysters to survive. And then the vegan people will just say, oh, but I'm vegan. And then, oh yeah, once in a while I have a few oysters. Oh yeah, it was so fun. You know, I went to happy hour and got some oysters. Like that is saving your life. <laughs> So I was a pescatarian. That's like the true definition of what I was for 12 years. So I literally had just plant-based foods and uh, including the processed Boca burgers and that type of food before the Beyond Meats even existed. And then I had fish, but I didn't have fish every day. And even with that diet, and I would go really low fat too. So I wouldn't eat the egg yolks. I would only eat the egg whites. I wouldn't have, you know, lots of fatty, like I wouldn't have avocados and things like that. And my mental health started declining. And for 12 years, I struggled with an eating disorder because I had no idea I had any relation to my diet. And yes, the fish saved me, but it wasn't enough. And I wasn't eating it every day. And I wasn't eating just salmon. Like sometimes I would eat tuna and it wasn't enough, but it survived me for 12 years. But my mental health just was not there. So I don't think- That's a good point. I'm guessing he can't do that long No, yeah. No, that's a good point because- some people can get away with it and we're eating in that small amounts, but I still, yeah, it's definitely not optimal. And we can't just say, oh, be, there, yeah, there's a few people who claim that they're okay. We have no idea how long they're going to be okay or if they're really okay. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, that's why some people still thrive off plant-based diets even after a decade. I think it's just really nuanced. And this is where our genetics actually matter, I think, with certain people thriving on certain things. But it's it's just really interesting that it's unfortunate because if people understood the biology and even the makeup of our heart is mostly fat. And when they're giving kids just sugar and not the meat and fats they need for their brains, you have to wonder, like, what is it going to do with their mental health when you see mental health declining in the US and probably worldwide with these adverse food recommendations. Oh, it's going to be really scary. There's a lot of things that are really scary of what's to come with 
all the COVID stuff with all these kids, with the nutrition stuff, with the processed foods. There's so much, it's really scary. I think there's going to be kind of two separate like societies almost uh, where it's like this people listening, sort of this ancestral health space. I see it already happening. It's going to be like the Wally world and then like the sapien world, you know? And I had this vision. I don't know if it was like a dream or something where I was thinking, man, picture 10 years from now. Actually, you might have to picture it like a hundred years from now. There's this crew in Austin. Everyone's been eating ancestral health. Everyone's fit. Everyone has some muscle tone. You know, we don't have all the diseases. And then this busload of tourists comes from the outside world. So in this vision, I was like, what if we're like, you know, living out, there's a group living out somewhere near, you know, outside Austin, we'll say. And then this busload of tourists comes and they're just in the rascal scooters. You know, they have all the ADHD. There's just a separate type of human that's going to emerge from what's going on now. And I, I don't know what to do about it other than make the film. And just try to tell people, but I, I do think we're going to be very different people. Oh, and that makes me so sad because, you know, I have children and I don't want them to feel excluded. And so I hope that our content and your movie can help people wake up so that there are more people in that camp that you're saying so that there are less people on that tour bus. But let's talk about your uh, movie. So what is Food Lies going to be about? I know you also have Sapien and you have Nose to Tail. Can you talk a little bit about these companies? But Specifically, let's first talk about the movie. And um, I think you said it'll release by the end of this year. But, you know, who is it for and what's it about? Yeah, well, we're trying to get the it's like the the one masterpiece that is needed for the world to understand everything that we've been learning. You and I and probably your audience has been learning and get it all in one audio visual masterpiece. That's how I kind of describe it, because there's so many people who aren't going to do the research. They're not going to listen to this whole podcast. They're not going to go crack a study. They're not going to go to a conference about this. They're not going to do any of this stuff. And you can't get through to them. So the number one way to do that is multimedia, like Netflix. It's like, hey, watch this on Netflix. And it's almost like I backtracked from that. What's the biggest way you can change people's mind? Well, what the health, game changers, all these stupid vegan movies changed people's mind, right? They, they basically tricked them into thinking this was right. true. And I talked to a lot of people. Again, everywhere I go, I'm talking about, you know, I'm the film guy. They're talking to me. Oh, game changers. Yeah, yeah. I'm vegan, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, yeah. And then my health, I felt terrible and I stopped. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Most people have these stories. And so once I realized how impactful these can be, it's like, we have to make the ultimate one, which is a bit hard. Have you heard the quote, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Cutting, you know, like really making something good takes three times of the amount of like, yeah, I could, yeah, I could write a, I could have put the film out the first year, you know, but it would have been bad and I wouldn't have liked it and no one would have watched it. So we're, we're kind of going through the whole story. So I, I, every, every time I (laughs) talk about the film with, people in the community, they get so excited because I'm like, yes, we're going back to evolution. We're starting from the beginning. We're going to show why human guts change, like why we need meat, how much meat we're eating. Well, this stable nitrogen isotope testing that showed we were high level trophic carnivores. We were talking about the gut, you know, we're going every stomach acidity. We're talking about this. We're talking about the teeth. We are debunking every vegan argument and showing all this evidence for why we need to be eating or why humans evolved on protein, animal protein and fat. Then we're going through the agricultural revolution, showing how far we declined since then, right? I love this stuff where they're talking about the human remains are so different pre and post agriculture and how we got shorter and our brains got smaller and we had more disease after we started eating grains. So there's this huge change after agriculture. And there's so many other things. We started inventing all these other fruits and vegetables that didn't even exist before. You know, like I was talking about the whole foods. You know, we started adding all these things. We started changing our whole idea about nutrition. And it's just about calories and that we just can grow some grains and feed them to people. But then we've made mistakes along that path too. And we could see there was stunting and there's all these problems with malnutrition. And then, you know, we started learning more. So we're going through this whole story of where we went wrong, we're calling it the agricultural revolution. And then we're, we're kind of going into, we have these little sections along the way that help synthesize the information. So it's like half historical accounts and like figuring things out and then half, how do I make sense of this? Or, you know, why do I care about food? Or why is food the most important thing? 
compared to, you know, some people are like, oh, it's just genetics or, oh, it's just because the the air and the water aren't clean right now. I'm like, no, they like there's I like there's like Tongans. I we're pulling footage from this documentary. This guy, pure, just pristine water, pristine air. He's outside working all day. Right. This was they're doing all things it's like, oh, we're not moving enough. This guy's out there in fields and he is gigantic. He is very sick, very obese. And it's because he's just eating all the processed foods. And, you know, it's like the food matters the most. So we're making this point. We help right. people understand food. We, you know, we break down. OK, like what is nutrition? Like to understand why animal based nutrition is so important, you have to understand bioavailability and nutrient density and just what do you get from food and the idea of you know nutrients to energy right it's like there's protein and nutrients in food and then there's just energy right and it's like there's a balance between it and i love dr ted Naiman who talks about this stuff but we go into even more detail on why it matters you know this kind of protein to energy ratio we get into the bad science all the bad science has been done we get into the history of veganism and you know the all that weird stuff with Harvey Kellogg. We get into that story. We talk about the Ansel Keys stuff, of course. Get into the whole processed food industry taking over with the low-fat paradigm. I, I Yeah, we, we just go through the whole thing. I mean, we get into the modern stuff and showing, oh, what's a new science? Like, Not a lot of people know that last year, I guess it's two years by now, the Annals of Internal Medicine put out five studies saying that red meat's fine. It's like, there's no evidence that red meat is bad for you. And no one knows about it. There's no news stories about it. You know, our crew talked, you know, made a few Instagram posts about it, but otherwise no one knows. So we're putting in all this new science. Then we're kind of putting it all together for people. Like, what is this diet? Like, what what makes sense, right? What are making sense of diets, right? It's like, oh, but I heard about paleo. I heard about pescatarian. Like, how does this work? What is it? And uh, then we even get to the end with the whole environmental stuff. So of course, we have to tackle that with environment and ethics and let people know that it's actually fine. It's not the cow burps are killing the planet. The cow farts are not killing the planet. And that, yes, there's so many other animals that die growing plant foods. I mean, I'm telling you, we hit every message that anyone said in the last Good. four years, right? If you could just like scour all of our pages, you know, all the, the people in our, our community's pages. And it's so that's why it's so hard. It's like, how am I going to fit all that in one film? And it has to be compelling and it has to flow and we have to like fit in these ideas. So that's the whole thing. That's the goal. And we're going to make it so good. And we're trying to get on Netflix. I'm excited. So uh, that was the question I was going to ask you if it's going to be on Netflix and if it'll be just distributed everywhere. Yeah. So we have the Indiegogo still up. I've done this all just crowdfunding with my own money. Just been four years. It's been crazy. So the it's foodlies.org. So you can still support it and you can get like a shirt or, you know, get some stuff. So you, you will get it first if you support it. But we have these two distribution companies that we're talking to that do just mm-hmm. they're just like, yeah, we'll get this on Netflix for sure. You know, there's nothing's for sure in life, but I think uh, we have, well, I know the quality it's going to be. So Netflix. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it's, I know when I was writing my book, I know that people said in general that people read their chapters like seven times to edit it and, and then their editor edits it. And then it's just this whole process. So I cannot even imagine Mm -hmm. with clips and interviews and videos to try to make it a story that's not just writing, right? It's a lot more than that. So I can see why it can take a long time. Yeah. Well, we're, it's, but it'll it's be really journey. exciting. So what about Sapien? Like what is Sapien versus Nose to Tail versus, so Food Lies mm-hmm. is the film. And then what is Sapien and then Nose Oh to yeah. Tail? So, well, Sapien is just kind of like the umbrella thing going on where I just think that's like the general health thing that that's why i'm saying this is this general ancestral principles and this is how humans should live and under that it's like we have media and we do you know the film and my social media Mm -hmm. and then part of it is health care so like dr gary is part of sapien right and so we we actually work with patients so we're trying to do more helping patients and get this information to healthcare providers so who, who knows where that can go but that's more of like the sapien medical side and then there's a food side right like that's so it's, it's content it's media it's it's the healthcare side and then it's food and so food matters most and so nose to tail is trying to just get regenerative agriculture more into the mainstream get people access to those foods and 
yeah, it's kind of like butcher box. We, we just ship meat. We have some great ranchers in Texas and they do all the great practices. They've been doing the holistic management stuff, the regenerative stuff for 30 years. They actually took the Alan Savory courses back before anyone knew who Alan Savory was in the oh. very beginning when he didn't even have a name for it, I don't think. And uh, the, yeah, the guy's grandpa, my main rancher, you know, took that course. And so, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's awesome. And I, I like your product. I mean, we've had it uh, numerous times in our family. When we ate a little bit more organs, we would get the ground beef. And that was the one, I remember you guys were the one company that it we couldn't even tell and it was really tasty. So I think the meat tastes good. You know, there's a lot of people that don't really like the flavor of grass finish, but your meat tastes legit. Yeah, there's a way to <laughs> so do it good. where it's like a milder flavor. And then the organs, if you, you okay. do it in the right way. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the your doctor, does he take insurance? Because it's a question I get all the time is, I can't find a lot of meat-based or ancestral doctors. Where can I find them? So does Dr. Gary take insurance? Does he see telemedicine? How does his- He does. Yeah, work? he does both. So yeah, he's one of the few doctors oh, okay. that does both. And if you, you know, he accepts the major insurances and he does telehealth. So yeah, nice. he's at evolvehealthcare.com. He's really great. I do the Sapien podcast with him. He's, you know, he's great. People love him because he's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to just say whatever. And he, yeah, he, he takes insurance. So I would recommend that. Okay. Yeah. That's good. yeah, I'll put it in. I'll put his information in the show notes. So, you know, with the creation of food lies for you, I love that you talk to mainstream media because I think that is something that other than my personal life, I don't see much of. So I think almost everybody is animal based. And I know that's mm -hmm. not true when I talk with my cousins and family who think the way I eat is still crazy. But you know, what are some of the biggest myths that you think still are pervasive um, in nutrition and wellness? Mm. Yeah, no, yes, yeah, so I talked to a lot of mainstream people for sure. And so yeah, it's definitely, well, it's a classic stuff. They do think meat is bad. They think meat's going to cause cancer. So I can explain that in like two seconds. Just, you know, just give them like a thought experiment, something we've been eating for all of history compared to the new foods. You know, they still do think saturated fat's bad. The fiber one's pretty big. That's pretty funny. Going back mm -hmm. to fiber, they really think that fiber is necessary. And it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. And they, they don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. They, there's, they just think we're crazy. So it takes a while. That's what I found. So you're talking about your family members. I think that's the hardest people to talk to. And it took me many years. And I think my sister actually finally kind of changed over. And so this is my mm -hmm. secret to working with family members or people or your friends, because they, I'm telling you, they're the least likely to listen to you. There's like actually like a a study of this. There, there is something known as, as a, I think it's called the proximity bias, where it's, it's someone close mm -hmm. to you. You just don't take them as seriously as someone, you know, that you kind of put on a pedestal, like some doctor out there that says something. So how it worked this is a trick. If you can do it, you need a third party to kind of endorse you sort of independently. So there was a girl that my sister knew that somehow caught onto my food laws, Instagram, and she was all about it. And she was doing meat stuff and she felt great. And then my sister's like, oh, my brother does know what he's talking about. You know, like you got to <laughs> find that third party to kind of endorse you because if you come at them directly, it doesn't work a lot. So either by chance or if there's other ways you can kind of get someone else to sort of plant it in their head. So I think that's what happened. And, and there's also time when we're talking about mainstream people and like, how do we open them up to this way of eating? It's just a time thing. And, and for me, it was a journey too. Like I remember when I first learned about this stuff eight years ago, I still wanted to eat bread. I'm like, I know it's bad, but it's like, oh, what if I only eat it once a day? Or, you know, you, you have all these different ways of like kind of justifying it or even right. just getting used to it. Or people have this idea. It's like, especially coming from Hawaii, everyone's about rice. It's like, but I eat rice every day. Like, that's what I do. Like, I couldn't imagine a world without rice. And other people say the same thing. But then once you change, once you actually just spend the time, I mean, it is a journey, then you kind of realize, oh, wait, I don't need it. Like, that's not something I need every meal. It's like, if it's not there, you get used to it. So yeah, changing that opinion is is about time. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I mean, I had, so I have a close family friend that thought the meat diet is crazy. And then there was a person that joined my podcast. And so my family friend was a fan of that particular guest. And that made them open up a little bit of like, oh, just by mm -hmm, association, that's that's the third party. maybe the meat diet isn't as crazy. Yeah, that's Sorry? like the third party, the third party kind of recognition. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, no. So I, I totally get it. I never thought about that. But that makes a lot of sense. If you were to, you know, with fiber, with all of the seed oils, or the the meats and the saturated fats, if you were to rank them, what would you say is the, like the strongest dogma that's really hard to change in the mainstream um, community? Mm. I do think it's saturated fat. That That's such a hard one. And the opposite, that would be the polyunsaturated fats, which would be the oils, the seed oils. People have been indoctrinated for so long. And I kind of hate this, that the literature isn't that conclusive yet. We don't have all the good studies. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, polyunsaturated fats, you can see some benefits. And, and it's just so bogus. So that's going to be the hardest one to change. I think that the meat, there is a bit of good science out there in the mainstream, which is hard to find. But there's also actually a whole new attack on red meat. <laughs> you know, everyone sees this happening these days. It's it's pretty bad. They're, oh, they're attacking right, right. all angles. But still, I think people know that red meat is good and people eat it. And they're like, well, I'm not going to give my meat or yeah, maybe I'm going to die earlier, but I like it. You know, so many people are into it, but they're still scared of the fat though. So they're like, yeah, but I get lean meat or yeah. And then I cut off the fat. So that's going to take a while to change. And I know there's a lot holding us back from that. There's a lot of money holding back this or propping up this perception, right? It's like, there's a huge industry of all this processed foods and the oils. The oils is a whole rabbit hole. And I know you probably have other guests talking about all the science and there's great people talking about, you know, why the seed oils are bad. But if you're just thinking about the economics of it and all the forces that push it and how bad it is, it it's crazy. It's actually one of the most unsustainable things ever. Like it is just, okay, okay, talk about Brazilian rainforest. The, okay, this is interesting. So when you look at the economic factors of why the Brazilian rainforests are being cleared, people, they always just blame it on the, the cows. That's actually not the biggest factor. The economically, they are destroyed to get oil. It's for palm oil. And like that's because they make way more money creating palm oil. I think it's mostly, I don't know if they, they, I think they do other um, vegetable oils out there as well. Then they're like, okay, then we can also have some cows on this land too. But it's actually more economically advantageous to do the vegetable oil. So that's actually why the rainforests are being cleared is for these oils because there's so much money in them because you can just, yeah, they're just so ubiquitous. They're in everything and you can just charge a high premium. Right. And that's why there's all this this fake science about them. And that's why they're just pushed and they're just going to, there's so many lobbyists keeping them in every restaurant in the world and just keeping the price down too to make, it's, it's really hard to change that, you know, cheap price point that they have gotten with these oils. So yeah, there's a lot going on, but that's right. the biggest one. Yeah, I think that regardless of whether a PUFA is needed or not, if you just see how seed oils are made, I mean, canola oil is made was found from Canada from a plant that's toxic to us. And then they do all this processing heat it, I think it's over seven times. And so it's becoming rancid seven different times. And so regardless of everything, it's just inflammatory from that level alone. And then a lot of them are being produced from genetically modified foods, or um, seeds. And then on top of that, then they bleach the oil because it's rancid. So it'll smell weird. And so when you then add it to like ranch, or you add it to foods, there's no taste to it, because they bleach it, and then they make it flavorless and odorless, so that it seems like, oh, it's like the best oil to cook with, but they do it by using a lot of these chemicals and things that are so toxic for our bodies. And if people were to just watch like there's a YouTube video that shows it's like a how to how are it's these how things made. made and it's a video of how to make canola oil and it's so disgusting and if people watch that they would understand how toxic regardless of nutrition it's probably not good to be eating something that's made that way yeah that's i love the logical stuff where you don't have to look at any science and yes it's called how it's made right. and it's actually an old show that i used to watch i was an engineer growing up you know i was a mechanical engineer by training oh, okay. i love that show how it's made so I actually dug up that exact episode you're talking about, and we're going to put a clip of it in the film. Perfect. It's so funny. It's like from the 90s. You know, it's like old school music and like blurry, you know, quality. And they, they but then they have this sludge. They just show this sludge and how they make it. I know. And it's so gross. If you show that to people, they don't have to get into all the science and know about the hexane solvents that are used to yeah deodorize it mm-hmm. and like getting the chemistry and oxidation. Just know, do you think you want to, you should be eating this or the thing we've been eating forever? It's like, you can ask them, did we eat animals throughout forever for a million years? Yes. Why are they bad for you now? Why is this sludge 
better for you than animal foods. They're like, uh, uh, cause my doctor said, you know, it's like, like then you, then you maybe have to go down right. the rabbit hole of all the, you know, the science and, and the, the big industry and money I was talking about, but yeah, it's, it can be super simple when you just think logically. Yeah. And that's the way I teach my kids. So my kids, uh, we decided to make coconut muffins and I remember I got a jar and we had to use oil. So we used, I think we used back then it was butter. And so I showed like the amount of butter you needed versus like the eggs. And I said, well, remember this. And then I showed them the canola oil video and they're like, ew, that's so gross. And then I said, well, now imagine all the baked goods that the muffins you're eating in the stores, they're using that Mm. amount of that junky canola oil or the soybean oil, which is worse. And then for them, it just makes sense, right? Just from that very simple, logical perspective of, okay, I know that a muffin, if I just make one muffin at home with your children or something, you know how much oil is required in order to make these goods. And then if you know how canola oil is made, then it becomes an easy decision not to eat those foods, regardless of the science. This is giving me an idea for the film to show it graphically. We're doing a lot of this graphical <laughs> stuff. But if you show exactly that and you can have like you make a muffin at home and you can use like this amount of butter and this. Yeah, if it's coconut, you're using coconut flour or coconut flake, whatever you're using. And then you, you know what it is. So we got the eggs. And then it's like this is the muffin here. And it's like you have a couple you have the oil. And then you have all these weird other ingredients. And then if you magnify it. Right. And you show all the foods that people eat a day. And then you're having jugs. So, you know, you could show there's jugs of this canola oil represented. So you have all the food you ate in a month. On the right, it would have jugs and jugs of canola oil, just packages of flour and sugar and fake chemicals. And then on the left, say how you and I would eat. And it would be like, yeah, we have like this. There's like some butter that's natural. We have some of this. We have like an animal. And that's it. Like this is what we ate. It's like this small pile of natural ingredients compared to a gigantic pile of jugs of oil. Right. And there are studies that show how much more we are consuming of seed oils. Um, I could send you some offline, Mm. but it shows like per year how much we are consuming and it's a lot. And so I know people are like, oh, it's just in a little bit of ranch or oh, you're just cooking with it a little bit. It's not that bad, but it's not. It's in it's in everything. It's in everything, everything that's like bread or processed, um, they add some because it allows things to bind and emulsify and, and then it adds flavor so you can stick the sugar together. And it's just, it's literally in everything because whenever my kids want some type of processed food, I turn the thing over and there's always some type of seed oil. It's really sad. I even yeah. found there was like a pork chip. It was like made of pork. I was at Whole Foods. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, what is this? Cooked in seed oil. It was like, it's pure pork, but you still cooked it in seed oil. It's like, you just ruined it. But yes, it's in everything. It's in everything. And yeah, we're, we are making these points and we're, we're showing a lot of the graphics on how many calories people eat from these three ingredients, the seed oil, the added sugar and the refined grains. It's insane. And it's, it's just interesting because I, I would just think that, you know, just um, the general population would start wondering, well, I'm not getting any better. I wonder if my diet is part of the re- reason, right? But we never think that way. Like I never thought when I had my eating disorder, when I was struggling with depression, I, I was plant-based. So I thought I my diet was good. And I never questioned my diet. I thought I didn't have the discipline to eat healthier, or I didn't have the discipline mm. to just keep going or something. I was just wired to have depression. And then as soon as I went ketogenic and ate meat based, I don't have any of those struggles. And I wonder how many other people just never question that their diet is at the root cause of a lot of their issues. That's why we have a whole section. Like I was kind of mentioning it was like the case for healthy eating, we're calling it, but it's like why food matters the most. I think that's the saddest thing. That actually goes back to the first thing I was talking about, why I started making the film. It's because it was so simple. I didn't think, yeah, of course I didn't think about it. And then I was like, oh, I just made a few changes and I feel this amazing. I need to tell people. So yes, the number one thing that's wrong with the the food world is just the the misinformation, right? Yeah, that people don't connect it, that they have the wrong information. So they're doing the wrong things. Actually, that's another one of our sections at the end is, is know the enemy. It's like you have to fight the correct enemy. It's it's insane right. that we have this war in the mainstream against animal foods. That's not the that's not the war. The war is with the processed oils, flours, and sugars. Like this is the if people understand that, it'll change. It will it's so much easier. You you won't think, oh, I'm not disciplined enough. It's like, no, you just have the wrong information. And I think your film will be so important because I get a lot of people that ask me, 
what graphic do you have this or what educational piece? Or they'll say that they sent my book to some family member, but no one wants to read that. It's like, it's a lot of information. They're not even, they're completely biased against it. So why would you be willing to read Mm. something unless you're really into the science? But a Netflix film or a film is just, it's a lot more digestible and absorbable and it's entertaining. So I think this can bring a lot of support, hopefully to the mainstream audience to have changed that. And especially that combats the like game changers and meat health and all those other, you know, vegan propaganda movies. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about other support. So like, what do you think about sleep and stress and other lifestyles and how that affects our health? Yeah, I I hope everyone knows how important they are. I think they're super important to to show an example. This is the blue zone stuff. So the blue zones that for one, it's basically not even true that these people, these people aren't plant-based and our mutual friend, Mary Ruddick is going around actually. And I've been with her some of these places and showing the blue zones. They're eating so many animal foods. They're just crushing fish and lamb and like, you know, in Korea and they're eating fat and they're, so they're not plant-based to begin with, but the diet, the lifestyle factors you're talking about, that's how important they are. Even though food is most important that they are doing all the other things, right. And they're, yes, they're sleeping well and they, they're outside, they're getting vitamin D, they're moving, they're walking, and they have a sense of purpose and community. That is so important that even that allows them to live so long, even eating a less than ideal life or diet, right? I think that it's pretty, just people listening should know this, but if you just look at basic food science, a plant-based diet is sort of a, a survival diet, right? It's not the, like, just... Mm-hmm. This this should be just well known by now that you can survive, but you're not thriving. But yet these people could overcome the survival diet with all these other lifestyle factors and still live long. And also they're just eating mostly whole foods anyway, right? So I always say it's like, if you're eating whole food, you're better off than 90% of the population. So that's what they're doing. But yeah, I mean, focusing on sleep, I don't, I'm not into all the gadgets too. You're talking about these other lifestyle factors. My message is you don't need a lot of time or money to do any of these. I don't have any sleep gadgets. I don't, I've never had a gym membership. I don't, I don't have anything. All I do is I get in bed for eight and a half hours. It's like, I don't have an alarm that's set for six hours from when I get in bed. That's not something I do. And I used to do that. I was up at midnight and I had to be at 6am for my engineering job. Don't do that. Go, going out in the sun is free. I read books in the sun. I read your book out in the sun. I went 40 minutes at a time and read your book laying in the sun with my shirt off and I flipped over after 20 minutes and, you know, and the workout. Yeah, you can throw some weights around. You can buy some dumbbells. You can do anything. You can go outside and sprint. So super important stuff. I think it's, I haven't been sick and I don't even know if it's been seven years. It's basically when I started doing this. I haven't been sick since. And I think that's 80% of the diet and 20% the other stuff that I do is just to sleep, the vitamin D, getting outside and the workouts. And yeah, this whole COVID time, two years, I haven't made one change in my life. I, I don't do anything different. I've washed my hands less uh, this in the last two years than I've ever washed my hands. I've been in close quarters with people. I haven't had one symptom once. I haven't had one, t- the tiniest issue in two years. Feeling absolutely great every day. I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Uh, stand out some weird anomaly, but been working. Well, there are people that get COVID and they have no symptoms. So I I mean, when we all got it, my husband had no sign of it. I think for a day, he said maybe he kind of had a headache or like a slight cold, but he didn't have it. So I mean, I believe that. What about community? I, I really think that the way that we are living more and more with social media, with this the lockdowns and just isolation, the community part is so important. And as an example, um, I wrote about it in the book, but you know, the there's babies that used to be sent to orphanages, and they would die. And the thought was that oftentimes, they wouldn't touch the baby, because they felt like if they touched them, maybe they would give them Mm. bacteria, and they would get sick off of it. But what they found is that a lot of babies, if they didn't get touched, and they didn't feel that affection, they would die and they called it failure to thrive because they humans need physical touch and affection and community. And so they I don't think they allow um, in any orphanages and um, children under a certain age because they mm. will die. And it's not because they're not nourished. It's because they need that like skin to skin. And so 
knowing that about babies, I think a lot of what adults should do is follow what children do, right? So if children is tired, they take a nap. So sometimes if adults are tired, maybe they should Mm -hmm. take a nap. If a child is hungry, they cry, right? So maybe we need to feel our body and listen to these cues that our bodies naturally give. But we don't think about that with community. Sometimes I, I know everyone knows community is important, but I think it's a lot more than we believe it to be. Because again, if you think about children, if they are not touched, they can die. So thoughts about community. Absolutely. This is so huge. And I see people's mental health suffer very quickly with lack of community. I I think even my sister, she's in LA. She's having a big problem because LA is brainwashed and they're insane. And I could go on a whole rant about Los Angeles. (laughs) My brother and family are still in LA. So I get it completely. (laughs) But she like, and, and I've seen it all over. It's not just my sister. It's not just that. If you lack community, your mental health suffers. I think this is a no brainer. It's linear. It's linear, right? It's like, and I can see myself if I'm like kind of locked in my place for three days, I'm like, wow, I don't feel as good as normal. This is weird. I need to go out, you know, and then I'm like, okay, then we go outside, meet someone. Oh, okay. I'm back. You need that community. And actually it's good. You brought it up because in Austin, we're trying to build that. I think that's the number one thing in life is like out of all like the highest level it's like you want that community like we lived as tribes for all of history it's like that's what i want to recreate and yes we're actually in negotiations on a lease on a building in austin so that we can have a community center so i'm yeah, i'm glad you brought it up i haven't told anyone about this yet my whole goal beyond the film beyond you know helping people learn what to eat is to have this community because that's how humans thrive we're not supposed to just live in little boxes and then see each other once a month. You know, it's like, oh, okay. We, you know, we finally made time to see each other. I think humans should be interacting on a daily basis. And we have this whole indoor outdoor vision and this property where we can live an ancestral lifestyle and be together. And we, we've had these things like in a small way, like we have these meetups in Austin, right? Or wherever I go, I try to have meetups and just bring people together. So yeah, I think that's super important. It is good. And all those meetups, I mean, no matter how big or small they are, I all, I know that people always leave with this feeling like, okay, I'm not alone. And the, what I'm doing is good. And it's good. And it's amazing to hear stories about other people and their healing and their thriving and how they're raising their children and not be about, wait, you don't eat grains or wait, you mm-hmm. don't eat seed oils or you know you don't have to go back to okay let me explain why I eat this way but it's just you're with your people and you have similar beliefs and in the way you raise your children and your friends and it's it's very empowering and that's where I I love these meetups because then you meet like-minded people that you can grow and build your community and then you feel connected when so much of the world is saying meat is bad you're hurting the environment, you're being selfish, you're killing <laughs> animals, right? A lot of these things. Yes. And I even had one in Hawaii when I was back home for Christmas. And there was a few people that aren't brainwashed and they get it. And I love having them because, yeah, you can talk to people and they're on the same page about so many things. And so, yeah, we got to make that spread. Hopefully we can spread this beyond just Austin. And yeah, let's do it. So where can people find you? And you mentioned your movie will be on Food Lies and then um, just all your other information. Where can people yeah, find foodlies. you? Yeah, foodlies.org. You can find the film for now. And uh, Food Lies on any social media. Just search for Food Lies and I'm there. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. Saping.org, knowsatail.org. I got all the .orgs, anything. Foodlies.org, saping.org, knowsatail.org. You'll find everything. And then you have two podcasts? Is yeah, that, so right? Peak Human is my main show. And I also have Sapien with Dr. Gary and it's set up kind of a more okay. casual show where we talk more about everyday clinical experience and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I will put all the information in the show notes. Well, thank you for joining me. And I am very, very um, excited about the film and I will for sure <laughs> share it with all my community members that are, you know, part of my real life, but not mm-hmm. adopting, you know, they still eat the standard American diet. And um, it would be exciting for them to watch that because I know for sure they've watched Game Changers. And then a lot of them have reduced Uh-oh. their meat consumption. Oh, well, yeah. we'll change their tune. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you again. All right. See ya. Okay, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this discussion with Brian Sanders. I hope it helps you to realize that so many people outside of the nutrition and wellness space, the average American 
does not understand nutrition and wellness. And so if you are healing on a diet because of nutrition and all the other things you're doing, it's always good to plant seeds with your community members, your family, your loved ones, because they just may not know. And sometimes as simple as it seems to say, don't eat this packaged food versus this one, it's still important to share information because one day, they just may get sick enough or tired of their situation where they are willing to change their way of eating and that your seed that you planted is the catalyst for them to want to change. We will never get the big food and pharma to change their ways to help us thrive. It's a horrible business model, to be honest. So if we understand that we need to have a grassroots movement where we share our healing journeys and how diet can change our lives for the better. And this is the way that we will evoke change in our communities and in our world. While you're here, I dream of a world that one day we are all eating nutrient-dense meat-based foods and enjoying one another and in harmony and in peace. Okay, guys, while you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe on the podcast. Please make sure to leave a review. Thank you so much. You know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys later. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.